I know that there are a lot of school leaders out there who are looking to share their voice out with the masses, who, like me, have a lot of things to say about education. Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you a little bit. Anchor is free. And the great thing about Anchor is there's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. The other great thing about Anchor is that it will distribute your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimal listenership. And it's everything you need right in one area to make your podcast. It's great. So if you're curious about how to start your own podcast and share your voice with the masses, then download the free Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to the Educate on Purpose podcast. My name is Brandon House, the host of this podcast. Each week, I share stories and strategies that educate and motivate teachers and leaders to educate with excellence, joy, and purpose. In today's show, we have a special guest, Mr. Josh Canada. He's a great friend of mine. He also is my former college roommate. He and I discuss interesting topics like the top three things parents, educators, and leaders should think about when preparing students of color for college. We also discuss our own personal experiences as black males transitioning from high school to college. I hope that you enjoy this episode, and if you feel inspired, motivated, or enlightened by today's show, then don't forget to support the show by subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review wherever you are listening right now. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to this podcast, and enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? It's Brandon here for another podcast, and I am so excited today because we have a great friend of mine. He's been on the podcast. Uh, he's been a friend of mine for for years. Um, we actually go way, way back to college. Uh, he was one of the first people I met when I walked onto my college campus, and then he also uh, was uh, my college roommate. And so we've we've stayed in touch over the years. And so I'm excited to have on the podcast, Mr. Josh. Canada. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about Josh, and then we'll get started with the podcast today. Josh is, uh, he serves as the Director of Strategic Partnership uh, for the College of Liberal Arts at Azusa Pacific University. He is currently pursuing his PhD in higher education at, at Azusa Pacific. His uh, research focuses on sociology of knowledge, organizational theory, culture, and religion as they relate to higher education. At Azusa Pacific, Joshua advises the Black Student Association and sits on the Diversity uh, Collaboration Committee. So we are just so excited to have him on the podcast. He's got a wealth of knowledge. And every time I talk to Josh, I feel like I get 10 times smarter. Uh, <laughs> just so brilliant. So uh, welcome. What's up, Josh? How are you today? How you doing, man? There's mutuality in there. There's mutuality. <laughs> it's, it's fun to be on the podcast and get to have this conversation. 
Yeah, I'm glad that you're uh, on the podcast. And man, like we haven't seen each other in per- person in like what, what six, yeah. seven years. It's been yeah, at least I think we were we were in your backyard when you were in Indianapolis. Um, yeah, my my wife and I were driving through, and yeah, yeah, I think that's the last last time we were in person with one another. Yeah, so the last time we saw each other, we we had no kids, right? Uh, and uh, we were pursuing different careers. We were both getting ready to start new careers, right? And uh, yeah, so a lot's happened since then. So I'm, I'm excited to have you on the podcast to chat a little yeah. bit. Yeah, we were we were aging much more slowly then, and then we had kids. And, exactly, yeah. exactly. For those of you who can't see right now, um, Josh has no hair on his head, and I have gray hair on my head. So we were. <laughs> older these days. My mine is shaved only because because age is is making the hair growth uneven. So I'm like, all right, just gotta shave it. Just gotta shave it off. Understandable. <laughs> Understandable. So Josh, uh, for the listeners, uh, you know who don't know you or anything about what you do, why don't you just share a little bit about what you do, who you yeah. are, and uh, yeah, yeah, I would love to. So. Um, yes, yeah, Brandon said, I am the director of strategic partnerships um, for specifically the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences at Azusa Pacific University, which is in Southern California, um, probably about um, it's about 35 or so miles outside of L.A. or downtown L.A. Uh, so on a, on a day where there's no traffic, it's actually a pr- pretty quick trip, but usually it's, it takes a lot longer than that. Um, so I, you know, I have been in higher ed for uh, over ten years in different capacities. I've served in student affairs, student development, working in uh, leadership development and student activities, um, and in residence life. I actually left for a little bit and worked uh, for United Way and did some work specifically, actually working with with uh, K twelve. Um, districts uh, where we were living up in Santa Barbara uh, and working on literacy and mathematics. And and, and, uh, uh, the specific program uh, that I worked on and helped support was one that was addressing kind of the the summer slide that students um, will be impacted by that disproportionately, unfortunately, impacts um, students from lower SES communities. So, um, kind of had this nice bridge between the the K-12 and the the higher ed system. So my role now is a lot of partnership, is a lot of uh, problem solving on campus, is trying to bring constituents together on and off campus, developing strategy and trying to trying to push those things forward. Um, So I get I get to kind of be in the practitioner scholar world uh, of of what I do because I'm staff member on the on the faculty side of the house. Um, so it's, it's, it's really fun, dynamic work, um, and work that both directly impacts students and their experience and success and, uh, their thriving, which is kind of this holistic, uh, aspect of, of their socio emotional well-being that impacts kind of outcomes, GPA, graduation, and all that. Uh, but also just who we are as, as a university and what our values are, what we're going to kind of spend money towards or research, um, or or put in for grant. So it's, it's, it's a fun job. Um, I, I could talk yeah. about it a lot. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so the, the education sector for me, I think that's where I've kind of found, uh, found my calling in this place kind of where education over overlaps with community and society. 
That's great. Yeah, you know, and I I just remember some of the talks we had as college roommates and just uh, you've always been sort of this strategic thinker and problem solver and, and, and basically sort of, like you said before, bridging the gaps between right. certain um, areas and ethnicities and, and things like that. And I think that, uh, you know, uh, it's just great to have a mind like yours, especially within education, uh, because uh, I think it is an area, especially within education, we can get stuck in systems and traditions right. and not really be mindful of of if they are working for the people we're trying to serve. So yeah. uh, th- this is going to be a great conversation. So, you know, I, the reason why I wanted to bring uh, Josh onto the podcast uh, is just specifically talking because he has a lot of experience in in secondary, post-secondary education. And, and like we said, bridging those gaps between um, certain areas with certain ethnicities and things like that. And so, um, you know. If you guys didn't know this, I'm just going to let the the cat out of the bag address the elephant in the room. So Josh and I are both black. We are both African-American. And so um, that being said, you know, uh, we have had some personal experiences uh, within education, both as staff members and leaders and as students uh, that I think would be helpful just to share, especially given the current climate that we're in right now. Obviously, this is not a political uh, podcast or anything like that, but this is something that is going to help educators as we move forward. Um, And so, um, you know, I just wanted to, you know, start off by sharing a little bit about our backgrounds coming from, you know, our high school backgrounds, moving into uh, into college and just sort of what that experience was like uh, for you. And uh, then we'll we'll sort of transition into how can we leverage sort of those experiences and some of the things we've learned as educators and and help support our uh, the students, you know, as they are moving from high school to, to college. So why don't you just share a little bit about your 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 background? Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, I'd love to, especially kind of educationally where mine is. So I, I grew up in Virginia, in southwestern Virginia. My my family had um, been in the, the that region, southwestern Virginia, uh, kind of the northern North Carolina, Greensboro area, if people know uh, that part of the the, uh, the nation and geography there. We've been there for five or six um, generations that we can track back at least. So kind of a long, long time in that, in, in that region. Um, my, the pieces that are really salient to my identity, right? So my, my, uh, paternal grandfather, um, was a sharecropper, um, in kind of rural, rural Virginia, um, had a third grade education and that's kind of all that was afforded to him. And then he, he had to work, um, and then on my maternal side, uh, my maternal uh, grandparents, uh, my, my grandfather was in the military, so he had some access uh, that way, at least to, to the world. And both of my maternal grandmothers kind of didn't really have a lot of access to uh, to formalized education. My, uh, my uh, maternal grandmother eventually did and actually uh, ended up being... Um, Kind of the headmaster at, at an our girls' school for for a brief period before moving back to to the country. So these things are for me really important as I think about kind of the lineage of of my background and how it connects and intersects with education. So both my parents um, finished finished high school um, again, rural Virginia, um, highly segregated education and, and, and equitable education. Um, 
Um, but then for us, my brothers and my sister, there is this real push to um, to go to school, to go to college, to do well. Uh, so I'm the youngest of three. My the the next closest sibling to me is ten years older than I am. So I was a little bit of like the late child. So I, I think I got a concentration of that from my parents, particularly my mom, of like, hey, you should be a lawyer, be a doctor. Here's all the things you want to do. Um, and I remember my junior, senior year thinking about school. And um, I had a few options, thoughts. I was, um, I was a good quote unquote good student. My grades were well enough that people were kind of soliciting me and reaching out to me, but I, I didn't have a lot of information um, to actually make choices and nor did my parents. While my siblings all went to school, theirs were, um, much more utilitarian than mine. So my, my sister went to nursing um, nursing school and my one brother had wanted to go to the military since he was little. So he went to the military institute and my other brother uh, went to a college that was uh, in our hometown. Um, so mm-hmm. I was the only one who was thinking about going outside um, and kind of trying to do something different that didn't have as clear of a path. And, and I remember I we were really just making assessments without having much information about financial aid or the culture of the schools or what I would experience, again, particularly as, as a black male at those colleges. Um, luckily, I, I think that um, I, I, I did have options and I ended up choosing uh, Taylor University where Brandon and I both went to undergrad. Um, and it was primarily a financial aid. Uh, piece. There's some other elements of like, I felt good about the community that I was exposed to when I did my campus visit. Um, but at the end of the day, financially, that's, that's what got us there. But I definitely go back and recall the questions that we could have asked that I know now that we didn't ask. Um, and my, the, the, there's no fault of my parents. They had never been tasked to ask that. And, and there was an excitement from us to, for, for me to get into school and for me to have the finances that were not a burden on my family. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, I, I actually think about that transition a lot. And, and that was, when did we graduate? That was <laughs> more than 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, almost 16. Uh, oh man. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so thinking that we, that there's, first generation college students coming now that that are still facing that that aspect of kind of this void and not knowing what to ask or, or their parents not knowing what to ask, I think is, uh, it's sad that that's still a challenge for us, um, but I think it's something for us to step into as K-12 educators, but also in higher ed and how we bridge that. Yeah, you know, and and I know you're going to hit on this a little bit, but my story is very similar. And, uh, you know, I'll go through the story and then I'll see how it connects to what you were saying. But, um, you know, basically for me as as a student, I, you know, I graduated from a high school that was uh, predominantly economically disadvantaged. So a lot of our students uh, that graduated were below the poverty level. Um, We were historically, the school was historically known as the quote unquote bad school, you know? Um, And so I was an honor student and an athlete. Um, You know, I graduated in the top 40 in my class out of however many thousand kids that graduated that year. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I just remember graduating from high school, feeling like I was on top of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a couple of uh, track scholarships that were sort of sitting in my back pocket. um, And I had uh, an academic scholarship as well. And, uh, you know, going back to what you were saying about the questions to ask, you know, I was basically the first person in my family to even think about going to college. You know, at that time, my dad now has a doctorate, but at the time uh, he had only had his associate's degree. Um, And then my mom, you know, only graduated from high school. So, um, you know, having that experience, we really didn't know what to ask or what to look for. And my, my story is sort of very funny, but, you know, I remember my dad, uh, he 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 worked uh, for FedEx as a carrier, so he would ride around all day in in his truck listening to the radio. And um, he is also a pastor, or and at the time he was doing both at the same time. So he'd work during the week and then pastor a small church on the side. Um, and so he was listening to this Christian radio station, and he heard the president uh, speak about. Taylor University, the president of Taylor University speak about Taylor. And so he comes, he comes back home and he's so excited. He's like, we've got the perfect uh, place for you. You're going to Taylor. And so uh, I remember just fighting it and fighting it just because I had, I hadn't heard of it. You know, there were other schools uh, locally that were pursuing me uh, for, for uh, track, but um, similar to you, basically what it came down to was uh, the, the financial aid and the support. So uh, for, for my family, you know, having both an academic scholarship and an athletic scholarship that basically it paid for my entire freshman year, you know, um, that was something that was like, I couldn't deny, but I knew nothing about the school until um, I, I remember this is sort of when Google was becoming really big. And I remember Googling the demographics of the school and I just remember seeing, you know, a, a glaring number that 2.5% of the students were minorities. And I had come from a school that was predominantly minority. And so it was sort of nerve wracking for me. Right. And, you know, I remember driving to the school with my bags packed, ready to move in day one. And I was debating with my mom saying, Two four point five percent. What am I going to do with two point five percent? And I was so I was so nervous, uh, but obviously, you know, it turned out to be a great experience for us in right, the right. end, um, and I really enjoyed my time there. But uh, you know, those are questions that I yeah. wish I would have asked early on Holy because, uh, yeah, I just didn't think about that. What is one of those pieces too? I mean, I, I think about the high school experience. So, so some similarities and some differences. So, so I went to. Um, it was a predominantly white high school in a, kind of, in a really complex and, and, and um, broad district. I mean, geographically, it was pretty expansive and had pretty diverse schools um, in various communities. So I, I, I was there. And so I, I knew that Taylor was uh, predominantly white. And, it, and I assumed, okay, that probably means it's culturally dominantly white. But, but I, I remember like interviewing with people and, and kind of, hearing narratives like they're the worst students of color. I didn't ask like specific numbers or anything like that. So I'm like, you know, I can, I can manage d- dominantly white space. That's fine. Like I've done this before. This is my schooling. Um, and, and I don't think that we were on, my family wasn't hip enough to be on Google and to, to look up yet. Uh, so, so, and we visited in the winter and it, nobody was outside. So it's not like we could, could take an assessment that way. Yeah. Uh, 
And so I remember coming and or going to Taylor and and feeling like, where is everyone? Like, really? I, I didn't realize I knew it was this white, but this white. And then I, I think something that impacted me. Uh, and again, it, we, we both. Uh, both you and I, right? We formed really good friendships there. Um, but I think one of the things that that impacted me was at some point in that like first semester. I, there's no one like salient moment where I that I can point to, but but at some point I I remember thinking I'm not going home. Like mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so growing up, even though I was in a uh, predominantly white school, again there there are communities of diverse students at my high school, and then. And then I got to go home. I got to kind of be with my family and be reinforced in that. And mm-hmm. I didn't have that. And that felt very, very isolating uh, while I was there. So Brandon, I, I think Brandon might remember this. Um, There's a group of us that started when we were an undergrad in this Taylor Blackman of like, yeah. how do we form communities with one another? But yeah, it was a question on the front end that, that we didn't think about asking. Yeah. So let's let's just jump into that a little bit, you know, yeah. uh, unless, you know, there are parents right now, there are students, high school counselors, even, you know, some of the other educators, teachers and leaders yeah. that are listening. And, you know, we want to prepare them for uh, guiding their students to ask these questions to, you know, uh, successfully integrate into a, a college culture, right. you know, and, and, and I, um, you know, I was reading some statistics and I won't read them off, but I was just reading uh, some of the, the glaring statistics about students of color, uh, right. minorities that, that start college, but don't ever finish. Right. Uh, and it's, it, you know, it, I'm sure it goes into some of the things you're going to talk about today, but uh, you know, that's just something that is always uh, st- pierced my heart as an educator is like, how can we get more students to get into college, enjoy their experiences, have a pr- productive experience and then graduate. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. It's one of the, one of the, the umbrella topics and conversations is, is trying to shift, shift the conversation around um, uh, access to be more robust, right? That has been the push access, access, access. And only until I think somewhat recently have we been really thinking about success in a critical way. So there are uh, student success models kind of going back 70s, 80s. Uh, Tierney's one, Tinto's done some others. There, there's a variety of them. Um, most of them are kind of based actually upon like leaving one's home culture and integrating into the institution and, and not taking into account um the environment there. Um, so there's this kind of like input. Uh, Aston has this this input experience uh, and outcome output, and, that, and that's that's really just this model. And um, and it's kind of restrictive, right? It, it doesn't get into some of the nuances of what a student experience would be. So for me, I, I think the questions that are important to ask kind of fall in three different categories. Um, so I, I do think one is compositional and demographic, and that might be the, kind of the, the, the least, but I do think it's an important starting point. Um, so for parents, for educators to be asking, who is attending the institution? Um, are there, um, particularly for students of color, are there students of color from my same racial ethnic background there? And then broader than that, are there professors uh, mm-hmm. of color who are there? I, again, I'll make it personal. I mean, I think one of the things I, um, I am disappointed about from my undergraduate experience is that uh, until my senior year, I did not have... Um, a black professor um, 
And right, and 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 uh, that that's a, a heavy weight for some students, right? To not have yeah. that representation broadly, but also to not have that in the classroom, right? In, in K twelve, we see the data about the the importance of, of of black teachers. The same thing is there in in mm-hmm. higher education that it has impacts, right? Um, so I think the demographics of students, of faculty and staff. Now I'd even argue, kind of looking into administration, like where what. What does this look like? What what physical and then kind of this leads into the second point, what kind of cultural space will I be in? Um, yeah. So I think the second bucket of questions uh, would be around the experiences that that students have there. So um, kind of seeing what is what is student life? What are the communities that that uh, me that I as a student or for a parent, my, my child uh, can get involved in. What are the ones, again, thinking about culture, what are the ones that um, that would be kind of reinforcing or, or allow my student to express their kind of racial ethnic backgrounds? What are the ones that are supportive to them? Um, and then even asking, what is your, in this in the experience, what is the university's kind of approach to to student development and to academic advising? Is it this deficit model that is really like, oh, you've got these problems that we need to fix? Or is it uh, a a student-centered learning growth mindset um, model? Overwhelmingly, the latter, that student-focused, that growth mindset, all, all students, but particularly students of color, thrive in those environments much more than the deficit mindset. The deficit mindset kind of reinforces um, reinforces in some ways kind of the stereotype threat of like, oh man, I don't know, I can perform and mm-hmm. they're frustrated. And and then they, they unfortunately live into that as opposed to, yes, having high expectations, but coming in with a, you know, we are co-constructing, we are learning together. Um, I want you to have agency over your education, agency over what you're what you're learning, and I think that's I think that's important. I think that's valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you know, as I was talking, I track back a little bit um, on the the demographic piece. So I was thinking on my own experience, right, and not being able to look online, not being able to look. Um, to look up information. So the benefit now is that you can look online. <laughs> you can look at um, uh, the National College Education Statistics. You can look at there. And IPEDS is the database. Um, and it'll show who's who's at the institution, what representation looks like. Yeah. I also think it's, it's, it is good to ask admissions counselors. And um, if you're interested in a particular academic department, you should ask that department. Um, um, more and more colleges want students. So that's the other piece now. Um, well, I, I, you need to be asking um, and they should be having a response for you. Uh, so mm-hmm. I want to, that's tracking back to the demographic piece, but I think that's valuable. Yeah. And that's a good point. Um, you know, cause I'm just thinking about like, obviously both of our experiences where we didn't know who to ask, um, right. when, when we were walking in, especially, uh, around these things, like fortunately for us, uh, and I'll, I'll go to the point you, you mentioned experiences point number two, yeah. um, you know, uh, fortunately for us as students, we were able to advocate as, as black students 
that we needed some sort of, uh, you know, uh, group where we right. could collaborate and, and plan and have some sort of student, um, you know, development group that was just about uh, bl- the experiences of black male student. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, not all students know who to ask or even how to advocate for that. Right. Um, and so that's something that you'll, you'll have to think about is, you know, specifically on a, on a campus, who do you, who do you ask to, to get that support? Right. Yeah. And I, and I think equipping parents to, to know that they have the right to ask and that they should. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some folks want to, that just, yeah, the who to ask, am I allowed to ask that? Should I think the more that parents are um, uh, empowered to do so, uh, the better informed uh, decision-making that they and their kids will make, right? Again, so many echoes to the K-12 system. Involved parent, parental involvement and investment has an impact on uh, student success in K-12. And it also has an impact on college choice. And uh, depending on kind of the, the family culture and demographics, um, it has an impact on family success, right? Or student success uh, while they're in their institution. Uh, so I think that, yeah, those are really valuable that particularly parents are empowered to ask those questions. Yeah. And I know you mentioned uh, iPads. Once again, could you just elaborate on what iPads is? And then we'll try to link that in the show notes. Uh, yeah. So iPads is this database that's from the National Center for Education Statistics. And uh, it lists every college and university um Mostly accredited. I think it has a few others that are on there. Um, but you can look up any college and say and see, hey, what um, what are the demographics of the students there? Um, what is the average financial aid? Um, how many per- what uh, what percentage of students are receiving financial aid? What percentage of students are receiving uh, federal uh, federal aid Pell Grant? So you can you can kind of get a feel statistically at least uh, of who is there. And and I think the other piece and this kind of trans um, transitions into that that third bucket this outcomes bucket for me on mm-hmm. on iPads um, you can look up and see. Uh, you can look up and see the the outcomes for students. So you can see the uh, six year graduation rate um, by sense of color. Um, you can um, can really kind of interrogate of are these are these equitable? Um, is there a big discrepancy? Is this institution that kind of looks great on paper? Right, all all colleges and universities do marketing, but you can look to see are are they actually graduating students well, or are they kind of stuck? in the mm-hmm. cycle. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I think for me, I think it's an invalu- uh, invaluable resource for parents, educators to go to, students to go to, um, mm-hmm. so they can find out data. So the, the, um, the acronym is, is IPEDS because the, the, the name of it's long. So it's the Integrated Post-Secondary Education Data System. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's within the National Center for Education Statistics. Great, great. Uh, that sounds like a, a helpful resource. And one of the things that I wanted to just hit on because, um, you know, just knowing from my own personal experiences as uh, an educator encouraging students to look into college and in my own personal experience, um, I think that it's important to note that these three points, point number one, demographics, point number two, experiences, and point number three, outcomes, I think that these are not mutually exclusive. No, I don't think I don't think that you can have one without the other. Yes, they are all interrelated. Um, and I would say one of the hard things is that for some institutions, they will what gets put forward often is kind of the demographic, the composition. Right, we have a diverse university. We value diversity. Um, it, you can't 
you can't go to an institution that doesn't have a diversity statement at this point. Um, but mm-hmm. what what you don't always see on face value is as the outcomes piece is both the experience, but particularly the outcomes piece of um, yeah. But what, what is it like for students and our uh, particular students graduating at different rates at at the end of the day, and and not all institutions keep this data, but some do. For those who for students who get loans, like is there kind of racial socioeconomic discrepancy of what debt looks like afterwards? What does job placement look like um, for for all students, but particularly uh, maybe students from my background or my family's background? I, I think asking those. Um, Asking those are invaluable because um, mm-hmm. it says something about the likelihood of success um, for for the student. Um, yeah. We'll be there. Yeah. What's up to all you purposeful educators out there? I just had to interrupt this episode to tell you something awesome. Are you ready for this? My website. BrandonHouseSpeaks.com has just received a huge makeover. Now, I know what many of you are probably thinking right now. You're probably thinking, why is this so awesome? Well, because now I get to offer my support to you personally. Yep, that's right. If you head over to BrandonHouseSpeaks.com, you can learn about how I can help lead your staff professional development, strategize long-term vision and goals, or provide coaching and support for a teacher or a leader at your school. I know, it's, it's pretty awesome, right? And the best part is, is that this can be done virtually or it can be done in person. My deepest passion as an educator is to support other educators, especially urban educators, in fulfilling their purpose with excellence and joy. So head over to BrandonHouseSpeaks.com and learn a little bit more about how I can help you educate on purpose. Uh yeah, so the, you know, I was just thinking about a couple of things here. You know, we we've mentioned these points: uh, demographics, experiences, and outcomes. These three big things. And so I'm thinking about myself as an educator. You know, and I and I want you know I I have high school students at my school now, and when they get ready to start having that conversation around, I'm ready to go to college. Um, how do I start formulating this conversation with them um, to start thinking about? Uh, you know, demographics, experience, and outcome. I, I can tell you what I'm thinking, and you can tell yeah. me if this hits. But, um, you know, for me as an educator, I think I kind of want to start out with right. having these three points in the background, but asking them, well, what do you want in, in an experience? Well, I, um, I, I actually I think that's the valuable piece of hel- helping students, um, high school students, have a better idea of what they want, and you know, and 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 I actually don't mean necessarily um, vocation in, in regards to occupation. I think that's important, right, for them to be thinking uh, mm-hmm. about that. I also think college probably should disrupt a little bit of that too, and, mm-hmm. and help you in kind of critical thinking, and maybe you can do something different than you first thought of. But but. A little bit of that, like, what do I want my college experience to be like? Um, right. Cause you have the beautiful thing about the American or excuse me, the U.S. system is that we have, um, this wide mosaic of institutions, mm-hmm. right? So it, there, do you want to go to a large public institution, a large private? Do you want to go to a liberal arts college? Do you want to go to, 
um, a private institution that has some research. Like, so there are all of these choices and, and I think that can be overwhelming, but getting to the, like, even having students kind of write down, like, what do, what do I think that I want to do? Or what I want my college experience to be like, what kind of, mm-hmm. what do I want to learn about? Who do I want to be in relationship with? Uh, maybe there's a little bit of like, what do I think I want to do afterward? And that kind of being this, this picture, even if fuzzy, um, that they can use to go into, thinking about, all right, what institutions at the beginning kind of match that? Yeah. I, I think, although I know we, we talked about this, both Brandon and I, in our college choice, that at the end of the day, finances were uh, a big uh, a big factor. And, and I think ultimately it will be. Mm-hmm. One of the dangers, though, is thinking about that too early, mm-hmm. is thinking about that on the front end. Um, colleges, as some folks know, colleges and universities have a variety of Funding structures and um, discounting of tuition, often private institutions will respond with higher financial aid packets, but you don't, you don't always kind of see that. And sometimes it takes the relationship and asking to, to find that out. Um, so I think one thing, at least to avoid, is just the, the, the knee jerk. Oh man, it's, it's less expensive there. So that's going to be better for me. Um, I, I even think, and, and I, I in no ways want to, to uh, criticize um, community colleges without nuance because there's a lot of nuance there and they're very, very valuable in our system. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of students get caught up into the cycle in community colleges. Um, We have not systematically figured out how to transfer out of community colleges. Well, there's good work Mm -hmm. coming from that. Um, so sometimes students will start a community college to say, oh, I want to save money or their parents encourage them. I want to save money, but it actually ends up costing them more and being a barrier to them getting to their degree, which thinking about it again, primarily from the economic sense is costing them more because they're not going to be in the job market for bachelor's level, um, positions that, that pay more. Yeah. Um, I think being more critical about, that first uh, initial kind of sticker shock of like, oh man, how much is this going to cost me? Because uh, often you get into it and you find that there's more financial aid than you thought. And some of the ones that actually cost more on those three questions, those, those, the demographics, the experiences and the outcomes, they're actually better. So it's yeah. a, it's a better product, if you will. Um, and so you're going to have a better, better outcome as a student. Yeah, that's a good point. And I don't I don't know that anybody's I mean, this is the first time uh, that I've really even thought about it that deeply is just like, you know, the cost over time return on investment, right. you know, right. um, is is really a huge thing that I don't think that has been communicated enough uh, to students. You know, I'm just thinking about, you know, the high school students that I interact with on a daily basis. It's really um, a couple of things, you know, it, is this school does this school or university have a great sports program that's on yeah. ESPN you know? <laughs> you know or um, you know the other conversation is what are, what are the sororities or fraternities look like you know like I want to be a Delta or you know whatever it might be uh, because that's just the way it is but they don't really think about like what is the end product and how is that going right. to translate and in some ways even those questions there are deeper questions beyond this, the, the sports team and even the fraternity or sorority. Of, uh, and, and this is hard, right? They, we're, we're talking 17, 18 year olds, but even pushing them to say, well, but what do you really want from that? Like, why do you want a, a, a big athletics point. program? Um, mm-hmm. 
often it'll be because like they want that sense of community and connectivity to identify with something. Or why do you want to know if I can, if you can join a sorority or fraternity there? A lot of it's the same thing. I mean, there's definitely the, the imagination of what fraternities and sororities look like, um, which are often very off. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I, I think deeper in that is this longing to belong. Um, mm-hmm. And to find a, a community, and that's that's actually kind of why I think the experiences questions are important because students feeling a sense of belonging, and uh, there are two parallel theories. So one is a sense of belonging, and one is uh, a psychological sense of community. Those students who feel those two things or a combination of those two things do well in school. They enjoy their education. They look back fondly. They perform better academically. They're psychosocially healthier. Uh, really, because I think that all of the questions that sometimes can feel kind of shallow, my <laughs> school students, they're actually aiming at that. Yeah. They want community. Yeah. I mean, that, that that brings up a great point. And so for all of those counselors out there, when you guys are uh, you, talking to your students and they're getting ready for, for high school or for college, you know, that's that's the thing that you should really be looking for is like, what is the what are they really looking for? What's the right. deeper thing that they're trying right. to aim for? And I think that's huge. Uh, and, and, you know, because oftentimes like you can see these pockets of where, where students are going to these are trying to go to the same schools uh, right. just because it's easy. It's local. My grandmother went there and there's nothing wrong with that, but is that ultimately producing the outcome that they're searching for? So I think right. that's a great right. point. Right. Right. So, yeah, you know, uh, this is this has been a fantastic conversation and we could go on for hours because we probably, probably could. <laughs> yeah. So but, uh, you know, I, I think that what we should do is I think we should bring it back on for another podcast. And we really need to think of this from a different lens now, because uh, obviously we, we can think of it as our um, experiences as students, but I think as educators, we can also bring a different perspective that can ultimately affect, especially students of color, minorities, um, as they're, as they're coming in and, and even staff members um, right. and the experiences that they have. I know you mentioned something about, you know, you only had one black professor, as did I, my senior year. Uh, and so what is preventing more minorities coming into an educational institution and and how can we uh, positively affect that so that way we can positively impact our students that are yeah, coming yeah. as we both know education is ecological it's relational it's not just a student in a textbook and a teacher and a kind of uh, a one-way conversation it is multi-directional you're in a community you're in relationship um yeah the, the, i think that's that's an important follow-up conversation that we should have yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate this. Uh, thank you for joining the Educate on Purpose podcast. Before we end, are there any parting words that you want to have to the educators out there that are listening? Um, I'll say thank you. Thank you for um, for the work that you do. And um, the, my, my call is not to, to K-12, but I, I, I very much value that. I mean, I think many people, not all, but I think many people really point to educators who um, who want to to impact students and to know them and to have this again relational aspect. So thank you for the work you do. Kind of keep on keeping on and uh, serving your students, serving your community, and, and doing good for the world. Thank you. 
Thanks again for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes to gain access to all of today's helpful resources. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, be sure to rate and subscribe our podcast on your podcast app. If you didn't know already, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio podcast. And you know what that means. That means that almost anybody can access this podcast. So share it with your friends and your colleagues. If you'd like to learn more about me, please head over to my website at brandonhousespeaks.com or you can find me on Twitter at B underscore house speaks. Once again, that's B underscore house speaks. Also, don't forget to join my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Brandon House Speaks. And thanks again for listening. And remember to educate on purpose.